Welcome back to, what the hell are we calling this? The podcast? This is Star Trek Generation Podcast. We do so many things on video these days, I lose track. Right. We're like stars. We've got, stars. there are dozens of people that watch every one of these, pod, these video things we do. Dozens. dozens. I'm telling you, dozens of people <laughs> watch these things. And, uh, and we do them, you know, about every 45 minutes, and I just lose track. So this is the Starting Strength Podcast. So welcome back to the Starting Strength Podcast. We are talking with Emily Sokolinski today. Emily and her husband, Diego, are the owners of 5 by 3 Training in Baltimore. Is it actually Baltimore? Baltimore. Well, or Baltimore. 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 If you're from Baltimore. If you're from Baltimore, you say it's Bald Baltimore. It's D. I was mm -hmm. taught that a long time ago Bald by people from the. Maryland, Baltimore, mm -hmm. and and say say the word that starts with uh, that ends up with D.C. our nation nation's capital, that is. Uh, what be more? Washington. Washington. <laughs> Washington. Right. But I tell people I'm from Baltimore. Baltimore. So that they you know they know you're from out of town. <laughs> <laughs> So they understand that you're actually a foreigner. Oh, wait, look, this just in. I'm handed something. Shake video, YouTube. Oh, the, oh the, this is a reference to apparently another video we've done recently. Uh, and the, uh, the comment is, truth be told, I really like Rip and his sturdy strength books or the holy grail of strength training material, but this shake is an absolute joke. The body requires protein, fat, and carbohydrates, along with other micronutrients, for the body to synthesize protein and repair the micro-tearing, uh, misspelled tearing, tearing <laughs> in the muscle fibers. Please, oh, plus, the use of artificially sweetened sodas made my jaw drop. <laughs> you need protein, fat, and carbs with every meal from whole natural food sources to ensure maximum gains. Well, that's, that's certainly a, that's an interesting opinion. He didn't like the shake. <laughs> Artificially sweetener. Made my jaw drop. <laughs> because of the billions of deaths. You realize how many people have died from the use of aspartame in the history of the world? You know, the world's population used to I, be about 83 billion people, and now it's down to what, seven? 100% of that is attributable to the use of aspartame, which of course turns into formaldehyde, you know. I die every day. God damn. Every All right, day. anyway. <laughs> See how useful the internet is? It's, uh, I love it. It's a wonderful place, isn't it, Emily? So, anyway, uh, here we are talking to Emily. And I have asked Emily to be on the uh, podcast today for a very specific reason. First, though, let's talk about how uh, business is at your starting strength gym in Baltimore. Business is good. It's good. We get daily, weekly emails for the starting strength program. Uh, just for our general fitness program, uh, one-day clinics that we offer, our personal coaching. Um, business could not be better. Um, good, good. Bill's getting paid? Bill's definitely getting paid. Enough money for a nice bottle of wine every once in a while? Uh, whiskey, bourbon. Whiskey, bourbon. We don't drink wine. Good. You don't drink wine? No. Why would you? 
I mean, just because you drink whiskey doesn't mean you can't <laughs> drink wine. Used to. I, I prefer beer and bourbon. Well, you know. So. To each, yes. to each his own. It pays the bills. I don't uh, we're busy. Field. We're busy every weekend. Every weekend. Good. We're busy with Good. clients. You guys doing yeah. in, in the door clients every weekend that aren't members? Exactly. Program they're consulting, all, that sort all, of thing. All out of town. All out of town guests from the uh, D.C., Virginia, uh, Philadelphia area occasionally. Yeah, we do that here too. I think everybody with the credential works Saturday and Sunday with uh, people that have called them up to uh, get some help on their lifts. Um, Seven days know, a week. There are the the demand for the product that we uh, we offer far exceeds its supply right now, and uh, and it looks like it will for the foreseeable future by virtue of the fact that we don't just hand this credential out to anybody that asks us for it. You know, it's uh, most other credentialing programs, credentialing programs. Everybody makes fun of my. Thing. <laughs> Most other credentialing programs are a are a uh, um, a fee for service kind of a deal. You pay yeah. us, we give you the credential. We don't do that. Our fee for service is the information. And if you pass our evaluation, then you get the credential, and our pass rate is about ten percent. Mm -hmm. And that makes us quite a bit different than every other credential in the industry. In addition to the fact that we are the only credential in the industry on which credentialing is predicated on your ability to demonstrate coaching. If you cannot coach and you cannot demonstrate it to our staff, you cannot effectively coach the barbell exercises. When you get to the seminar, you don't pass. And uh, there's, not another, there's not another organization like no. that. And uh, we intend to keep it that way. Yeah. So things are going well, Em. They are. So they are. Uh, in order to keep this from getting too long, let's go ahead and delve into our subject. Emily was uh, in ballet, was in dance for quite a few years when she was growing up. And I want to talk about this because it is uh, what I, it, I feel as though it is an important topic. Uh, there are kids uh, that grow up in situations of, uh, of athletics, you know, wrestling comes to mind for, for boys and uh, dance comes to mind for girls that have the potential to leave them uh, with uh, problems later on. Uh, and I've asked, uh, asked Emily to discuss that with us. And uh, if uh, we get into any touchy subjects, I'm sure you'll let us know. But I want to know uh, about your experience. Um, I started dancing when I was about seven uh, with ballet. And um, I started at a, a, uh, just a kind of a church. I started at a church, local court church. And the church, te the teacher who was teaching told my mother that I had potential to, to do more. So then I enrolled in the Baltimore Ballet. Had a fabulous teacher. I was about eight or nine. And then after she moved on, I auditioned for the Baltimore School for the Arts for their after school program. Uh, it was called Twigs to work in gaining skills. And had a teacher there for four years who was also a teacher at the high school. And she groomed us, and I was dancing four days a week, two hours each day. And I was the shortest one in my class for the longest time. Uh, my peers, my, my, my friends, 
uh, hit puberty way before I did. So at age 12, I was still the shortest in my class. Um, hadn't grown any. I had no breasts. I had no hips. Um, hadn't got my period yet. And then I turned 13, and I auditioned for the high school, and I got in. And I was in class one day. It was my freshman year of high school. And I was about 5'6", because when I hit puberty, I hit puberty, and I started growing. And we had a substitute teacher my freshman year. My dance teacher um, was undergoing some treatment. She had cancer that year, so she was doing chemo. And this teacher came in to teach our classes, and she's walking by me one day at the ballet bar. We were doing a combination, and she just paused. And as she paused by me, she just quickly said to me, you could stand to lose a few, and then just kept walking by. <laughs> and it was the first time in my life that anyone had ever mentioned anything about my body or my weight. I mean, I literally from age seven until 13, I never uh, thought myself as anything but a dancer, trying to get better, going to class, going to middle school, and now here I was in high school, and I had this person telling me I could stand to lose a few. And those words resonated with me the rest of my life, and I was 13. And uh, isn't it interesting uh, that, once again, weight loss raises its ugly head amongst uh, young people, one of the uh, biggest problems we deal with among uh, younger guys is uh, is this obsession with abs that the mm -hmm. past 20 years of mm -hmm. seeing muscle and fitness on the checkout stand at the grocery store is instilled in every single one of these every single one of these uh, these kids that are 16 years old who right. desperately need to be using the opportunity that they've got to gain some muscular body weight and get big and strong and realize their strength potential and their ultimate size. And uh, anybody that thinks that the Weeder organization is just a little niche thing in, uh, in American society has lost their mind. The minute they started putting those magazines mm -hmm. at the checkout counter, they started programming people for not big muscles. Right but for abs, and it is a problem that we deal with with boys, and it is a problem that apparently has been around for a very long time uh, with girls. And uh, I can imagine uh, you as a 13-year-old kid being told by someone in authority that you're fat. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Emily, this is not the reason I wanted to talk to you is about this is because I've known uh, a lot of girls that grew up carrying this baggage around that was handed to them by a dance teacher when they were kids. Yeah. And it just uh, reinforces the fact that when we tell children things, they are listening. When we say things to children, they are listening. Oh, yeah. It's not like telling somebody who is a fully formed adult at the age of 25, look, you're kind of chubby, you know. It's not like telling a, a, an 18-year-old kid who weighs, you know, 145 pounds at 5'11", at hey, you look like an insect, you need to gain some weight. 
you say this to a child and the child processes it at a completely different level because that child respects authority. Mm -hmm. It's just genetic. They just, they mm -hmm. just do. And mm -hmm. when you plant an idea like that in a kid, it's going to be there a while and it could cause a bunch of problems. You have to watch as adults. Um, women have to watch what they say around their children, around their daughters. Mm -hmm. When I was a school, I, I taught five years in Baltimore City Public Schools uh, during my career changes. And I had a teacher who was doing a lesson, a science lesson on gravity. And she was working with a second or third grade class and she brought in a scale. And they all weighed themselves because they were, you know, trying to figure out like what they weighed, you know, didn't weigh in space, what they weighed. And the girls all freaked out and started crying. And she and Quinn had no idea what she had done. And she realized what, what she had done. Unfortunately, they stepped on the scale and they saw how much they weighed. And these are eight-year-olds. These were eight-year-old girls. They're already programmed mm -hmm. at eight. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's sad. It's, this wasn't, when I was eight, that wasn't an issue. <coughs> this is an eight-year-old girl in, you know, the year 2005. Mm -hmm. When I was, that was when I was teaching, 2004. When I was eight, this was an issue. That's why it was, that's why it stunned me so much when that happened. Because there wasn't an issue. It wasn't a concern of mine. It wasn't a concern with anybody. And... Yeah, popular culture has certainly changed in the past 30 years. Oh, yeah. Uh, it certainly has. But this dance thing has been going on quite a while. I went to school with a girl. Uh, she's, uh, she was the mother of a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, uh, if I remember correctly, she was actually encouraged to smoke by her ingenious European dance instructor. Because it, you know, keeps the weight down. That's right. Uh, and she died of cancer two years ago. Coffee and cigarettes. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, were you told the same thing just out of curiosity? I, wasn't, I was not told to smoke. It was, there was an underlining, uh, it, how do I put this? By, by my sophomore, junior year, everybody, you knew what everybody was, was doing and wasn't doing. It was, it was pretty clear. It wasn't set out right mm -hmm. to, to not eat. But uh, my friends, we took laxatives, um, and we did a lot of uh, we did a lot of things to our leotards. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kind of cut them up, and we would pull them down so that we'd make our legs shorter. And I was always trying to cover up myself, put sweatpants on, um, and wear you know long sleeve shirts because you're staring at yourself for like six hours a day in a mirror, in basically a bathing suit. So the studios are all mirrored, I'm sure. They're all mirrored. Right. You're wearing leot a leotard and tights. You're not allowed to wear anything else because they need to see the body. And you're just comparing yourself to the person next to you constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and you're talking about what you're not eating and what you are eating. And then you're binging. You know, we'd go yeah. out. I mean, Because the, the, you're the, hungry. Because you're hungry. Yeah. Because you're hungry. Right. And, um, you know, we had dancers who gained weight and uh, because she was so unhappy. And then, of course, we talked about her. I mean... <laughs> This is what you. This is the. This is the world, that's, that's and it got worse. It's the culture of dance, and it's not just ballet. It's modern too. It's modern dance. It's jazz. It's dance in general. Mm -hmm. It's not just ballet. It's worse in ballet. Um, a lot of that has to do with um, uh, New York City ballet and uh, Balanchine, the pinhead. I mean, he wanted to see his dancers, 
look, he wanted them to look like boys. Um, he didn't want breasts. He didn't want hips. He didn't want women, mm-hmm. even though he was married multiple times to many different dancers. Right. So there is this look of this ethereal creature that shouldn't look like one of us. Right. But that doesn't exist. Well, you know, and and I understand that, uh, you know, we live in in 2016, we live in a fat culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the most hilarious things, I listen to the radio quite a bit, one of the most hilarious things are the competing uh, messages that you get. Uh, There is uh, the, the, the criminal propaganda organization called the Ed Council has got a uh, has got an, an an ad out a PSA out right now where it says uh, where the little child and a little child's voice at the end of the thing says I want to grow up to be a person who never has to go to bed hungry see and uh, and uh, I, I this is this is fascinating that's the extent of the ambition we want to instill in a kid uh, we want to, because people's jobs are on the line, we have mm-hmm. to pretend like one in three or whatever the hell they've got it down to. Now people are struggling with hunger. This is a, a gigantic fat society and we are being programmed on the other hand by these idiots at the Ad Council to think that everybody goes to bed hungry at night. And here's a little kid who wants nothing more out of life than to be someone who has a whole bunch of shit to eat before they go to bed at night. All right. So we've got we've got a problem with obesity in this country. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. certainly as hell understand that. But this thing that comes out of this dance culture is a completely it's it's not a response to that. It's something else entirely, isn't it? Yes. Yes. No, it's it's not wanting to look like the person in the audience who's watching you. People in the audience don't want to look at people who look like themselves. And they've said that. There have been many ballerinas who have been scrutinized over the years for looking womanly and looking like women. Mm. Um, I mean, Misty Copeland, who's, you know, who's the uh, ABT dancer. I mean, she was scrutinized because of her muscular body. She's got leading roles now. Things are changing Good. Good. a little bit. They're changing. Um, that's, but it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And unfortunately, the women who... Um, you know, during my time, it, it was not good, you know, and you were made to feel bad about yourself and you were made to feel less than perfect. And there are certain ballerinas who become ballerinas and there are certain dancers who don't become ballerinas. And there is kind of an acceptance of that. We all have different bodies. But you don't need to be made, you don't need someone telling you that you're fat. Well, <laughs> and, and here's another, uh, see, here's a, here's another aspect of this, of this of the culture that can exist in dance and also can exist in uh, uh, in sports for boys. Uh, when one of the attractiveness, uh, one of the attractions of this kind of activity for parents is that it provides some structure for the kids within which to grow up that apparently the parents can't provide at home. I don't, you know, I don't understand that myself, but. But at any rate, they like the idea of putting the child into a structured program. One of um, the things that occurs to me about a program with this much structure and this much regimentation is that it teaches a child. It, it, 
it perhaps delays the development in mm -hmm. a child mm -hmm. of, uh, of uh, adult type decision making for yourself. If you are always deferring to uh, the authority of the instructor, the authority of the coach, then, you know, at some point you have to you have to give yourself the permission to disagree. Right. And I think that these types of programs delay that sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know as a teacher, as a dance teacher, I was fully aware because of my, my history and my background that I was not going to be that teacher. That what I expected of my students was I wanted them to dress appropriately. I did. I wanted them to wear their hair in a bun. I wanted them to wear their leotard and tights. But there was no, there was never discussion about how, how they looked or who they were. It was how they performed. It was how seriously they took their dance classes. If they arrived on time, you know, if they if they listened. And then I encouraged. I mean, we encouraged the ones who were doing well and the ones who were doing it for fun would do recreational, more recreational classes. But I was very, very aware of my dancers and who I was dealing with. Um, and I had a couple dancers who uh, were anorexic when I was working at a studio and came to me for help. And I listened to them and they thanked me for just listening to them and allowing them to talk to me about their situations. And for both of them, they were dealing with situations that they had no control over. And that's what anorexia really is about. Um, I mean, when girls starve themselves, they usually do not have any control other other, with other things in their life so they can control what they eat. And that's what turns into a disorder and will uh, always be there. Well, I'm glad they had you as a teacher, Em. Uh, they could have done a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Could have done a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you being with us today and, and talking to us about this. I think that... Uh, uh, it, 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 those of you watching this that have got kids that are that are considering uh, putting those kids in in a program of some sort that could head in this direction, would would you please give that some thought? What would your I will, advice be? Yeah. I will say, I will say actually when um uh, when I you asked me to write this article. And um, I made a, a made a writing an article about this for us. It'll appear on the website very soon. I made a comment about it on my Facebook page, and a number of people chimed in. Uh, some of my, my my dancer friends from high school, who I still keep in contact with, who applauded me for for writing this, for, what, what I was going to write. And then a couple parents. Um, one of them, a mother of one of your coaches. I mean, sorry. Oh, uh, the well, the mother of. Um, a child who's the wife of one of your coaches who had her daughter in a dance class and has decided to pull her out simply because at age five and six, this is a concern. Yes, it should be a concern. And it at five be. and six, oh, the, the children are talking about their weight. That's We have that's to be aware of the fact we're... It's too young. They're listening to us. The yeah. kids are... You can't make an offhand comment like that to a kid. Yeah. I remember offhand comments that were made to me uh, when I was a kid. And uh, 
you know, you just carry it around. You don't even think about it. You just react to it because it's buried in there so deep, you know. And when you get to the point where you can think about it and analyze what you were told and then evaluate your response to what you were told, it may be too late. And, and you know. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was I was 13 years old when that happened, and I'm 41 now, and it's just been the past five years mm -hmm. that I have dealt with it. Well, I'm proud that you have, and oh. we are uh, proud to have you in our coaching cadre, and uh, uh, I wish you continued good luck with your uh, with your own adventure in getting big and strong. Thank you. Thanks for being with us, Emily. Emily Sokolinski from 5x3 Training in Baltimore, Maryland. And thank you for joining us on our podcast. Thanks.